Welcome to the Damn Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Bree, and I'm a full-time online fitness coach, and my passion is to educate women on all things fitness. I help women just like you step into the power of knowledge and commitment to ultimately live your best and strongest life. In this podcast, we'll talk about being damn strong in our body, mind, and life. I'll be teaching you how to navigate nutrition, strength training, and mindset challenges. So get ready to take some notes because we're building a damn strong life. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Bree, and this is the Damn Strong Podcast. And today it's a Q&A episode. I'll be honest, uh, this week I was planning on posting a totally different episode. I recorded a guest interview with Get Fit with Melissa. If you follow her on Instagram, um, she's wonderful. I love her so much. And unfortunately, we lost her entire file. So Monday morning when I was like pulling up her file to download everything and start editing the podcast, it was not like nowhere to be found, but it was just like, Hey, this file didn't upload. And my heart just sank because me and her, and I probably, I put it out there in the universe. You know what I mean? I talked to her about, she, I think she'd asked me on our podcast if I've ever lost an episode. I was like, Oh yeah, it's definitely happened in the past. And of course we lose her episodes. So I'm a big believer in that everything happens for a reason. You know, maybe there's a reason that I am posting this episode this week. I'll be honest. I didn't plan to film this episode for this week. It was going to go for next week, but I'm just a massive believer. There's a reason for everything. You know, I, I, part of me hates it because I'm like, man, our episode won't be the same when we, cause we're going to refilm. We're going to take a little break from just filming together, um, that guest episode. So thoughts can be a little bit more fresh, but maybe there's something that she didn't say in that episode that someone really needs to hear in the future. Or there's something I'm going to talk about today that like, I wouldn't have said, had I not filmed this this week. So I don't know why I feel the need to like explain all this to you guys, but I don't know. I feel like at the same time, I'm explaining it because this can really apply in your fitness journey. And just like realizing things happen for a reason. It's always 2020, but whenever something like upsetting or frustrating happens, you know, the first thing I do is I allow myself to feel the emotions of being frustrated because those are totally valid feelings. And then I have to tell myself like, what does this feeling do for me? Like, does that help me move forward and being frustrated about the episode? Like, didn't help me to record this one today and feel positive and, and want to record something in, in general. So I put the negative feelings aside and said, Hey, it happened. There's nothing I can do to change it. I just have to move forward and, and plan things how I can. So I feel like that can really apply to your fitness journey. So I didn't mean to start off this whole Q and a with a little like inspirational talk here, but, um, I don't know if, if things don't go the way that you plan, just remember, like it already happened. You can't go back and change it, but what you can do is move forward and, and learn from, from it, um, or channel the frustrating energy into something that will actually move you forward. So anyways, with all of that said, let's jump into today's Q and a. So I, if you guys don't know, I post a Q and a box, uh, for the podcast specifically once a month, I try to do a Q and a on my stories every single week. But then once a month, I will post a Q&A box specifically for the podcast. So if you want to ask your question and for it to get answered on the pod, um, make sure you look out for that and put your question in. I do try to go through all of them. Um, so far, I've been successful. If I if ever get to a point where there's so many questions that I'm like surpassing time, that could change. But as of now, as of today, as of February 20th, 2024, I answer all the questions that come in. So Um, let's go ahead and start off. So the first question that was in this box is how long should you be in a maintenance phase before transitioning into a cut? So that's very, how do I want to answer this? There's kind of two parts to this one. There's no designated amount of time. You have to be at maintenance. You could be in a cut for 12 weeks, go to your maintenance calories for a week 
and go right back into a deficit. There's no amount of time that you have to be at maintenance before transitioning into a cut, whether you're coming from a previous cut, whether you've never been in a cut before, whatever it may, may be, there's not a certain amount of time you have to be at maintenance. However, this is the second part of this conversation is it can be really helpful psychologically to spend a good amount of time at maintenance. So for example, let's say that you did a 12 week cut, right? And towards the end of the cut, you're getting very like diet fatigued and your tracking got sloppy and you're like, Hey, you know what? I'm done with this cut. Or maybe you hit a goal, whatever it may be. When we're talking about the psychological things, usually people will end the cut um, because psychologically they're just kind of out of it. They're ready for more food. Maybe they're ready for better sleep, more power in their workouts. Uh, things are getting sloppy just because, you know, it's nearing the end of a deficit. So you're like, okay, it's time to end the deficit. Let's go to maintenance making sure you give yourself enough time at maintenance. You don't burn yourself out is important because what a lot of people do is they will be in a deficit and they'll be like, okay, I need to go back to maintenance. They go back to maintenance and then they jump back into a deficit before they're ready to go back into a deficit. So I think it's really important to make sure, make sure you give yourself enough of a break where you feel like you had a break. So my recommendation usually is let's say you go in a deficit, whether you hit your goal or you get diet fatigue, or you just want to be done with your deficit, whatever the reason is, I always recommend spend a third to a half of the time that you did in a deficit at maintenance. So if you were in a deficit for 12 weeks, I would spend, that would be four to six weeks at maintenance at minimum. You can totally do longer than that. You could be like, Hey, you know what? I was in a deficit for three months before going into another deficit, I'm going to be at maintenance for three months. Like this can totally change. It could be that you're like, Hey, you know what? I was in a deficit April, May, June, and now it's summer. So July, August, and honestly, September, I don't want to be in a cut. So I'm not going to be, so I'm just be at maintenance over the summer. And then, you know, maybe go into cut before the holidays, and over the holidays, take a break. Like it really can depend like what your life looks like. But I would just say, if you're trying to give yourself a break, just psychologically at minimum, a third to a half of the amount of time that you're in a deficit. And then you kind of just go from there, but there, I'm pretty sure this question kind of comes from a lot of people will say like on Instagram that you like have to be at maintenance for a certain amount of time, or like, you know, you, your metabolism depths, you have to go back to maintenance. You have to sit there for a while before you can go back into a deficit. I have an episode, episode 31 is called metabolic adaptation. What is it? And this is back when I believe Alex was on the pod with me. So we have an episode together talking about metabolic adaptation. So if the reason you're thinking you have to be at maintenance for a certain amount of time is because of metabolic adaptation, I would go listen to this episode specifically. Again, it's episode 31. Um, another one that could be helpful, maybe is my reverse dieting episode, which is episode I'm literally scrolling right now. Let's see, episode 43. I don't know if that would pertain completely to your question, but it is about maintenance. So it might be helpful to listen to both those episodes, but I would for sure go to listen to episode 31. All right, next question we have here is, if you ate something super salty, should you still weigh yourself the next day? Yes, definitely. So we're not just picking and choosing what days to weigh ourselves just to see, just based off of it, it's going to be really low or not, right? So if you've been following me for a while or you've listened to my podcast, I'm a really, really, really big fan of weighing yourself daily. The reason why is because your weight fluctuates constantly throughout the week, right? To this person's point, you can have sushi one night with soy sauce, lots of sodium, right? Super salty. And then your the scale is going to be up the next day, not because you gained body fat, because you're retaining more water. And then that day that you weighed more on the scale, you ate less sodium. So the next day it's going to be down. And so why I'm such a big 
fan of weighing daily is because when you take all seven numbers throughout the week and pick the average, those highs and those lows get averaged for the week and you actually can have a much more comparable number week to week. If you are weighing yourself once a week, every single Monday, and you know, Sunday night that you ate a meal super high in sodium or it was in intensely salty, right? Then when you weigh on that Monday and you're up two pounds, I would just make sure that you recognize like, hey, this Monday's data is gonna be skewed. I'm gonna have to really, really, really zoom out and look over the course of the next, like three, four weeks because things are gonna look differently because of that. So I wouldn't not weigh just because you ate something salty. That's not the point of, uh, of weighing per se. The point of weighing is so you can look at data over time and then make a judgment for that. So, okay, next episode is episode. All right. Next question is, did you struggle with imposter syndrome as a coach? Absolutely. I, if anyone says that they didn't struggle with imposter syndrome as a coach, I'm going to call them a liar straight up. Um, there's many different ways I think to feel like you are struggling with imposter syndrome. It can be from your lack, like you feel like you have a lack of knowledge. I mean, imposter syndrome at the definition is like, you feel inadequate to be doing what you're doing. Right. And I think there's different ways you can feel that way as a coach. It can be that you don't feel like you have the knowledge that you're not able to help people enough, that you're not doing enough. And so there's different ways to experience it. Um, but a hundred percent I have experienced imposter syndrome. And I would, I would say when it comes to like coaching, like clients individually, I experience it way, way less, but I feel like now I experience imposter syndrome as just like a business owner. Like, am I doing things right? Do I know enough? Like, you know, there's just, there's just different avenues I do as a coach for my business that I feel more of an imposter about than I do with like my clients. But sure. When I first started out, like, and I'm, I'm trying to gather my systems together and I'm, I'm, you know, when I first started coaching, I put the systems together that I thought would work for my clients, like what I needed from them, what they need from me. And then over time, my coaching has evolved as I would work with the client and be like, okay, this and this happened. I should implement this so that way that doesn't happen in the future. And then you just gain more knowledge and it helps a lot more. But I definitely did. If you have not listened to episode, episode 52, five things to help you become a better coach. Highly rec recommend you listen to that. I think the first point in that episode, I actually talk a little bit about imposter syndrome, but um, these are the, uh, this episode that I recorded about becoming like a better coach. I try to make it not your typical things that you hear about becoming a better coach. Um, so I would go listen to episode 52. If you're currently a coach, you experience imposter syndrome. I think that episode could help. I think the whole episode would help you. Um, there's also another episode, episode 20. It's called the coaches episode, new and current. This was again, when Alex was on the podcast, we filmed this one together. This also has some different advice in there. So if you're a coach and you're like, Hey, I haven't listened to these two episodes, go listen to episode 20 and then episode 52. I think it would be really, really helpful. Next question is, is it okay to eat under deficit calories if still hitting protein and not hungry to eat remaining calories? Yes, absolutely. So I always tell my clients when they ask me this question, this is actually a pretty frequent question I get from my clients is I don't want you pushing past your hunger cues, right? If it gets to the end of the day, you haven't hit your deficit calories, but you've hit your protein and you're like not really that hungry, don't force feed yourself, right? I want you listening to your hunger cues, right? Um, but something else to think about that I, you know, people don't consider is depending on how under you are on your deficit calories, you could feel increased hunger the next day. So that's not me telling you like, okay, you need to try and consume 
your as close to your deficit calories always so that way you avoid this next day hunger. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying if you do have a night where you're 200 calories under your, your deficit calories just because you're not really hungry that day for some reason, just don't be caught off guard if the next day you you feel like you have more hunger than normal. Just you keep going like usual, understand where that came from and you just continue to move forward. So I always just try to let my clients understand that. That also goes into the conversation of, I've had clients before, they're like, hey, I am still hungry, but I would, I want to be in a deeper deficit. I want to be, I want to try and get, you know, results faster. And I'm, I'm not against getting fast results. If you want, if the trade-off is worth that, if the juice is worth the squeeze, we can go there. But also remember just because you go lower calories, doesn't mean that might not catch up to you later and that your hunger is going to hit you a lot sooner. So totally fine. If you do it, just be aware that there could be some potential hunger the next day or a couple of days down the road, depending on how low you are under your deficit calories. All right. Next question says, hi, Bri, I was curious about how you start coaching a client. What is your assessment? Okay. So very, I would say large question. So I'm going to try and answer this to the best of my ability. Um, how I start coaching a client and what's my assessment. So I'm just going to kind of walk through how everything just starts. So the first thing that people do is they apply right? They, they felt the application. There's some, some questions that I ask that are very general. Once someone applies, um, we schedule a call and then I have them fill out an intake form before we hop on the call. So that intake form asks a lot of questions. So it's probably kind of the assessment side of it. I not only ask things like they're ask things like height and weight. Um, but I ask things like, what does your weekend look like? What does your weekday look like? How often do you work out? How, you know, can you commit to that amount of working out? Um, I ask a lot of like lifestyle questions as well. And the reason why it's so much more like, it's, it's really important, obviously, obviously it's important to know like the height, weight, age, gender, and all that kind of stuff for your client. But it's also really, really important to understand like what they struggle with specifically, why they're coming to you, like what their weekends look like, what their weekdays look like and pay attention to how they say things and they talk. Right. So, um, for example, it might be that, uh, you know, I have a, I'm coaching a mom, right. And so their weekends are super, super busy. That's really important for me to know. And so I know right off the bat, okay, this client's going to be, uh, I mean, all my clients plan. I encourage planning with all my clients, but this client more than ever is going to have to utilize her time really, really wisely whenever she has free time because she has kids. And then also because her weekends are so filled up and so crazy, we might not have a lot of free time might not be had on the weekends. So we need to use the week to really, really prep for the weekends. And that's important for me to know, like going into that. And then the language that that person maybe talks about their weekends, right? If they are using like, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I try to do this and I try to do this and I can't do it. There's a lot of can'ts and tries in this sentence. And so I might also know that this client needs to see that they can do it. They might be a person that they're so focused on how they can't do something that I need to switch their mindset to show them how they can, right? And they need to become more of a problem solver. So I know it's a very, very generic way to answer it, but the simple answer of how, how I get a client started is they fill out the application. We get on, we uh, schedule a call. They fill out the intake form through the intake form and application on the call. I'll ask more questions to probe and really, really understand them. Then we talk next steps and then we roll into coaching, whether that's nutrition only or nutrition and training. 
um, and all that stuff. So my assessment goes with the basics of like height, weight, all that kind of stuff. And then I also dive into, again, kind of like lifestyle questions. Okay. Next question is from the same person. So a little tag onto the last one it says, hi, Brie, do you mentor other fitness coaches? Thank you. You're welcome. So, um, the question, do I specifically mentor other fitness coaches? Yes. Do I have a fitness coach mentor program? No. So I have had the pleasure of mentoring and helping lots of other fitness coaches. And the way that I approach that is um, usually they come to me for their own fitness goals that they have specifically. Um, and we work on those together. And through that coaching, I also help to like, quote unquote, mentor them. So for example, um, I have well, I have a few actually coaches on my roster right now, but one that comes to mind specifically, um, we're currently working on a fat loss phase for her. And she has some clients that, you know, we'll, we'll talk through, she'll bring some client cases to me. So we're, we're not only going through her own journey together, but if she has a client that, you know, X, Y, Z situation is happening or she did this and then this happened and we'll talk through those things. We'll talk through programming and all that stuff. I have another client who she actually hasn't even started her online coaching business per se, but she knows she wants or wants to, um, she owns a, a in-person gym and wants to get into the online space. And so right now we've kind of talked about like the business back end of things. I mean, not a ton, a little bit, and we'll probably dive more into that in the future. Uh, but she's pretty recent. So we've been going through her own fat loss phase. And as we're talking about things with her and things that she's going through, I try to always bring the perspective of, Hey, how would this play out with another client or other scenarios? So it's a lot of like, going through coaches own journeys together. And then through that expounding and talking about either other current clients, clients in the future, the backend business stuff, Instagram, all that. So if that's something you're looking for, reach out to me. I would love, love, love to help you, but I don't have anything specific. That's just business mentoring, um, or not business mentoring, coaching mentoring, but I do help to mentor coaches through their coaching with me. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to move on. Okay. Next question. It's not going to be a long one. It says, are you planning on making an episode about traveling on a cut? I am now. Um, that's a great idea. I could have sworn, I'll be honest. When I first saw this question, I could have sworn I had one, um, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So I'm actually going to make an episode. I've added this to my list. So this will probably, eh, this is the end of February. So it'll probably be an episode in March. So stay tuned for that one. Okay. Next one, starting a deficit. My first ever, all caps ever. How should I go about it? I've never tracked. Hell, you're in the right place. I've got a couple recommendation of, well, first of all, I would just scroll all the way down to the bottom of my podcast and anything that talks about a deficit, a cut, I would start just listening to on binge repeat, well, may not repeat, but start binge listening to all these episodes. But let me point out a few of them. Okay. The first episode that I would look at is episode seven because it literally starts the cut process. It's this four-step process to successfully start a fat loss phase. That's going to be the first one I'll list to is episode seven. Um, the one actually before that, episode six, how to stay on track through the weekend, that would be really, really helpful for you. Episode 10, it's called what directly and indirectly affects fat loss. That's just a really good educational understanding one. Again, I would go through here and like, there's so many different ones um, on fat loss and stuff like that, but that's definitely one I would look at. Episode 13, for sure, it's called Common Tracking Mistakes. Um, so that one I just go through, like, you're actually going to need to have my fitness pal open. I go through my fitness pal and, like, talk through the tracking. But actually, that's that's false. Episode 13, I talk about common tracking mistakes. Episode 15, 
It's called make tracking easier and quicker on my fitness pal. That when I walk through my fitness pal, that would be super, super helpful. And then one of my most recent episodes is episode 54. And it's how to make a calorie deficit not suck. So those are all my like just scrolling through really fast, like picking out ones. I would definitely go with, definitely start with episode seven for sure. Um, and then you could go to episode six. And then from there, I would scroll through. If you see something about fat loss deficit, I think there's going to be a lot of good information for you there. And I would just start listening to that. Honestly, I'm not sure when you, did you say in your question when you're going to start your deficit? Um, yeah, starting a deficit. So it sounds like you've already started it. What you could do is kind of make it your goal this week. There's probably, I don't actually, I don't know. I was assuming like maybe there's seven good episodes for you to listen to, but it could be like, Hey, there's 14 episodes about deficit and fat loss. Why don't you just make it a goal to listen to one episode every single day for the next two weeks and then plan to start your deficit. Once you've listened to those, you can go ahead and continue your deficit now and you're learning along the way, but there's a lot of great information on the pod that I think will really, really, really help you. Okay. Next question. I don't know why I laugh, but it just, she puts a cry face emoji at the end. And I'm like, I, I, I feel her. So it says, I need high volume slash low calorie slash high protein food ideas. I'm about to do a cut. All right. I got you. So let's just talk like how you could go through this to kind of create your own meals. I do have some, I was going to say resources, but some posts that I Gosh, they're not too old. They're probably like a few months old that you actually could scroll back and find. But the first thing I would do is, is think about what you currently like eating, right? So if you're someone who you like burgers, you like tacos, you like pizza, think about ways that you can lower the calories on things. So like, let's talk burger, right? You love a good burger, okay? How can we make this, burgers can be really high protein, right? It's meat, but like, how can we make this lower in calories, higher in protein, satiated for you on a cut? Well, if you normally buy the 80-20 beef, try buying the 93.7 beef. Or if you normally have full fat cheese, do low fat cheese. Um, if you're normally putting, you know, garlic aioli on your burger, you could keep the garlic aioli, but it's very dense in calories. You could switch over to ketchup. So I would first look at what you currently eat now and see if there's a lower calorie alternative to it. If you do tacos, you can do fat-free cheese, fat-free sour cream. You know, going fat-free on a lot of things can really help to lower the calories on things. Um, you could do corn tortillas versus flour tortillas. If you're like doing pizza, a really fun way to, to, to make pizza that I know a lot of people do is you get a tortilla. Instead of getting like actual, like a pizza crust, do a tortilla put sauce on there, do non-fat cheese, put some like chicken. You could put some like lean ground beef on there. Boom. Put that in the oven. I don't know the temperature and for how long, but you can easily Pinterest that or Google that. And then you got some pizza. So I would go ahead and look at what you currently eat and see, okay, how can I swap things to make it lower calorie? And then can I add some stuff to make it higher protein? So like an, uh, when I think of like add protein is, you know, you might I, for, this is actually a great example, or I think it's a great example. Um, I love soup, but a lot of my soups don't have a ton of protein. And so whenever I have something that doesn't have a lot of protein, I think, okay, how can I add protein to it? For like my soups, I just add shredded chicken. I buy pre-packaged shredded chicken from Target. You could also just buy a rotisserie chicken and shred that yourself if you wanted. But when I have soups, I take the soup, which is not very high in protein. I add in rotisserie or pre-shredded chicken. And that makes that higher protein. So again, look at what you already eat, see, okay, where can we make swaps for calories? And then how can I add stuff in for protein? Another thought process is, is how can I bulk something up with vegetables? So the other day I was eating this like 
rice and chicken, like pre-made meal. I've been eating these like frozen pre-made meals a couple times this past week. And they're really good, super satiating, great calories, great protein. But I was like, you know what? I could throw a crap ton of broccoli in here and really beat this up. I think it was like chicken and like some rice, but like with like an Asian sauce. It was delicious. But I was like, you know what? I could just steam some broccoli in the microwave, chop it all up, throw it in here, and then it'll make it more volume, keep it basically the same calories and great amount of protein. So those are the three approaches that I would take specifically to your own nutrition is look and see where you can make swaps, see where we can add protein to stuff, right? Whether that's adding chicken or if you're making a sandwich, just add more meat um, or, you know, anything when it comes to protein, adding the protein sources in it. Or seeing how you can beef something up with vegetables. Again, if you make like a pasta dish with fish, throw zucchini, throw squash, throw all those things, and you can really, really make it more high volume by adding veggies. Go onto my Instagram page. And if you scroll down, I think I have like four or no, I think I have like five or six posts. And it says low cook, high protein, low calorie meals, or like no cook low calorie, high protein meal ideas. And there's like five or six of those posts. So scroll down. And they're, again, I don't think they're very old. I think I posted them like back in December, scroll through. Those would be really helpful. I think I have four or five ideas on each of them. And that could be some really helpful for some, for some meal ideas. It's unfortunate because Instagram took away guides. Um, if you guys didn't know, but Instagram took away guides and I used to save all those posts under like a guide, but they took that away. And so I hate that I can't save those posts, but if you're listening to this in 20, the year 2024, uh, if you scroll back to like December of 2023, I think is when I started posting them, but they're not too far back. Again, just look for like no cook in the title. I title each of the posts and that would be really, really helpful. Okay, next question. How to not be scared of carbs on a cut? Okay, we're going to fight your emotions with reality. The first way to not be scared of, scared of carbs on a cut is to one, acknowledge that the reality is that there is nothing to be scared of logically, scientifically, carbs are not making you gain weight. And just like knowing that and understanding that. But I could tell you that all day and it still doesn't take the fear, but it helps. It helps knowing and probably hearing from me from a coach that eating carbs, there is carbs alone will never, ever, 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 ever make you gain body fat. If anything, they're going to help you enjoy your cut. It's going to make your cut easier being in a, in, you know, in a deficit, enjoying carbs. You're going to like your life more. And you're gonna, it's gonna be more adherable, more sustainable. So if anything, you fearing carbs and not eating in your carbs is gonna make your cut harder. It's not gonna be sustainable. And then you're gonna burn out and you're not gonna do what you want to end up doing, which is losing body fat. So just logically understanding there's no scientific evidence to back up the fear that you're having, right? Your, your feelings are valid. Like society has made us really, really fear carbs, but fight your feelings with logic and know there's, there's, there's no scientific reason for you to be scared. The second part to this of not being scared of carbs as you're in a cut is actually facing that, right? So you going into a cut and enjoying carbs in a cut and seeing your body change, seeing yourself lose body fat, seeing the scale go down will help to affirm like, okay, Brie told me there's no reason to be scared of carbs, but like actually seeing that you really don't need to be scared of carbs helps to reinforce that. So unfortunately the, the best way to fight through that fear is to actually face that fear head on, enjoy carbs in your cut, be in a calorie deficit. And then you'll see that you're like, oh, wow, there really is nothing to fear when I'm in a cut. And, and that's probably the hardest one to go through because facing your fears is never easy. All right. Next question is what's your take on cardio and what it does to women's hormones? Um, 
So this is a pretty general question. I'm trying to understand first when, it, when I'm thinking of this question and you're asking it where you're coming from. So my first thought is that people will say that like HIT is like really, really intense in your body and it's terrible for your hormones. I think we need to even zoom out more from that. Anything excessive on the body is not going to be good for it in general. Like cardio is wonderful for you. Like getting your heart going, going for runs, going for like, you don't have to run walks, roller skating, biking. It's wonderful for your hormones. It's wonderful for your cardiovascular system for you to be active like that. It's the excess that can be harmful. And you know, you're, you're saying what, what are my take on it? What does women's hormones? I think again, we can zoom out. What, what does it do to your overall body if you're doing that in excess? So I wouldn't say that cardio itself is harmful to your hormones. If anything, having a healthy cardiovascular system is going to be helpful for your hormones. But when you're doing cardio excessively and your body can't recover from it, then it's just going to disrupt a lot of things with your body. You're not going to feel good, the fatigue, your hormones, your sleep's probably going to be off, all of that stuff. So I would actually zoom out and even take it away from the conversation of hormones and just say, Cardio is fantastic and wonderful for you to do. And I encourage everyone to do some form of it, even if it's walking. I like to do walking. I'm not really into running anymore. I would love to potentially, I feel like the, the running bug is starting to hit me. We'll see. I'm not going to, not promising anything, um, but you should definitely implement cardio in some way because it's super healthy for you. But an excess of it outside of hormones is just not going to be good. So that's my overall thoughts without having any specifications of the question. Um, okay. Next one is what's your workout playlist? <laughs> Some of y'all, I think I'm crazy. I do not listen to music when I work out. Well, that's, that's a little bit of a lie. So gosh, I think it was back in March, April of 2021, a gym in Dallas called recess opened up and Sage and I joined. It was a super, it's wonderful gym. Love that gym. Sad. I'm not at it anymore, but a gym in Dallas opened up called recess and they have banger music. Like all the music that I love to listen to would always be playing overhead. And they always played it really, really loud. And so over time, I just stopped bringing my headphones and I didn't work out with, I still don't work out with headphones um, because the music was actually music that I love and enjoy to listen to when I work out. And so now that we've moved and I no longer am at recess, um, I just still don't work out with headphones because I just listen to the music that's overhead. And actually the gym that I'm at now plays pretty good music. There's a couple times where I'll like experiment with like, okay, you know what? Like today I'm just not feeling this leg day. I really need to go hard and play like my absolute bangers and I will put headphones in. But I would say 99% of the time I don't listen to music when I work out. However, I would say my workout playlist, I don't super have one. If I'm going to listen to music, it's typically like EDM where there's like a, a just a banger drop in it. So that way I can like wait for the drop and then pump out reps or it's going to be rap music if I'm being super, super honest. There are some times where I'm playing like 2000 nostalgia and it's like, and every time we touch, I get you know, and I'm just like, oh yeah, let's go. You know, just some of that nostalgia stuff is just really, really good. But um, yeah, it's usually like rap or like a really like banger EDM where it just like has a massive drop. Not like the I'm on Molly, like slashing my head back and forth kind of EDM, more like the fist bumping kind, you know? All right. Last question here. Favorite and least favorite thing about being an online fitness coach? This is a great question. And I actually had to think off camera for this for a little bit. So my favorite thing actually came pretty quick. My favorite thing about online coaching is the impact I get to have generally generationally. And let me explain that. So I love that I get to not only help women 
with their food fear, like enjoying carbs again, enjoying their life, like working out, getting strong. But I love that what I do is going to impact people potentially for generations, right? A lot of the women that I work with um, have kids or they're not moms, they have a partner or they have sisters or a mom. And those people take notice in that stuff. If I'm, you know, with the moms that I work with, their kids are getting to watch them work out. Their kids are getting to enjoy, see them enjoy pizza and not fear carbs. And so I love that my job not only gets to, I don't get to only impact women and just like one person's life, but what I, the impact that I get to have on other people's life gets to trickle down, not just to the people's kids, not just to maybe their spouse who also fears carbs or food or wants to start lifting weights, not only to sisters and moms, but to hopefully and impact an entire generation. Like I, oh, I can't wait to see like my friends' kids and like my, my clients' kids. I mean, I'm not having to see all these kids, but like grow up in a generation where being strong is like the goal and like no one's fearing carbs because everyone realizes carbs aren't what make you gain weight and like just a, a less disordered like society around food. And so I love that I feel like I get to plant the seed and then it trickles down from there. So that's got to be my absolute favorite thing about fitness coaching or online being an online fitness coach. My least favorite thing about being an online fitness coach, just to be honest, like it would probably be the social media side of things. I love social media. The reason I am where I am today and I broke through a lot of barriers that I have is because of social media. I mean, the first time I saw like a woman like eating carbs and being strong was because of social media. And so I love social media. I think it can be a wonderful place, but like for someone whose job relies on social media, it can be very, very difficult having like the comparison game or not feeling like you're doing enough or like you're not successful. You know, like you know how much easier it would be for me to just like put this in quotations because like I know a nine to five isn't like everyone's job isn't easy, but how much easier it would just be for me to like have a nine to five, never have to show up on social media again, not have people like judging me and telling me how terrible I am. Like people comment like, that mean things, you know, and, and it, I'll be honest, it doesn't super affect me, but like, it would just be nice. Like, I mean, imagine if your coworkers like said terrible stuff to you, you know what I mean? I'm not saying like these people who have no profile picture and say user one, two, three, five are a coworker, but it's just like, it would be, it would be really nice to not have the pressures of social media constantly feeling like I'm not enough on social media or comparing myself to someone else and thinking, okay, well, should I do that? Should I do this? Should I show up like this way? I feel like recently I've had a, a pretty big revelation of how I want to social, show up on social media. I've stopped caring a lot and just been posting how I'm passionate, which is education and being authentic. Like at the end of the day, that's what I'm really, really passionate about. So I've stopped overthinking things so much, but that's probably going to be my least favorite thing about being an online fitness coach is the social media side. And then if I was just to speak like, honestly, uh, from like the, the actual coaching side of things, right? You're probably like, okay, great, Brie, like sucks to be on social media, boohoo, whatever. <laughs> if I was to actually talk about, okay, what's my least favorite thing about like actually like coaching, coaching people. For me, if you know anything about Enneagrams, I'm an Enneagram two, which is like the helper. And so if you don't know anything about Enneagrams, it just kind of tells you kind of like what your like kind of traits are. And part of being a two or a helper is like you get a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment through helping people. And so, you know, there's just always this question of like, am I doing enough? Is this client getting enough? Um, do they need more from me? This just 
spiral sometimes constantly of, am I doing enough? And I think it gets, and this is just being really honest and vulnerable. And I want to say this for like any coaches that are out there that struggle with this, like you are going to get ghosted by a client. Like it's just guaranteed to happen in your career at some point. And that's hard for me as a, as a two Enneagram, because then I go down the spiral of like, what did I do wrong? And like things were like, of course there's times where, you know, I won't hear from a client for like a week or two. And then comes to find out something very traumatic happened in their family, a death, whatever. And I totally get that. But there's times where like things are growing great and like we're seeing awesome results. And then out of nowhere, just nothing like don't hear from them ever again. And then I start to spiral of like, did I say something wrong? Like, did I do something? And, you know, I've asked clients before, like they might be like really short on text with me one day. I'm like, Hey, like, I just want to make sure like, we're cool. Like, did I, did I, I hope I didn't offend you. If I did, like, please let me know. And I'm, I'm not afraid of like confrontation or I don't even like to call it confrontation, just discussion, because I never want a client to ever, ever, ever be doing coaching with me and feel resentful towards me and not be able to express it. I always want all my clients to know, like if there's ever a situation or you're not feeling fully supported, like you need to be supported, come and tell me, I'm always going to try to give 110% to my clients, but like every client has specific needs. And when I start by coaching with, with people, with clients, it's very like base level, like, okay, this is what 99% of all clients need is this. And then as I get to know people more and more, things change a little bit. And so I always try to encourage clients and, and try to tell my clients like, hey, if there's ever any additional support. If there's ever something I'm not doing, if I'm lacking, if you feel like something could be better, please voice it to me. I'll never be mad or never be upset. And so when I have the clients where things are going well, and then I get ghosted, it just, it gives, it's a little spiral. And so I hate that part about <laughs> online fitness coaching or actually coaching people um, because there's just no it's, there's no closure to it, right? They just ghost you and you just never hear from them again. Um, and I just, I've, I've learned over the years to just be like, I can't control that. I can't let that sit there and just fester. Um, I have to just let it go and just understand, like, I have to look back at myself and be like, okay, you know, were you responsive? Did you provide everything that you could? Were you helpful? Like, do we do calls? You know, we did all your check-ins. Like I kind of look back on my side and be like, okay, how would I see that I presented myself as a coach and I have to be okay with my actions. Um, so again, that was, that was really getting into the nitty gritty for, I don't know. I just want to be honest and vulnerable. So that way, if any coach feels alone in that, you're not alone. Um, it sucks. And like, you will get ghosted at some point in your career, but, um, yeah, from the client side, it's probably the worst part about it. everything else is great. I love coaching people, which is funny. Um, I didn't actually, this is like going beyond the question and we'll end this episode. I didn't know, think I would like coaching as much as I love it now. Um, one of my best friends a long time ago, she was, you know, I, I've, I've always like helped friends and family, with stuff. And, you know, she asked me, she's like, you know, would you ever do it as a career? And I was like, no, because if I did it as a career, it would ruin it for me. Like, this is my passion. And when you take passions and make them careers, it ruins it for you. And I think that could be true for some things. But when I started my page, I was like, Hey, you know, again, it's just a passion. I'm just going to share what I'm doing. And then people started DMing me and had questions. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so fun getting to talk about this every single day. And, and this career, I'm very fortunate um, well, I don't want to say fortunate. I think careers serve different purposes in different people's life. And some people, your career serves a purpose of funding the life that you want. And some people have careers where it's, it's also a passion, but, um, yeah, 
I do love coaching, but there's that one downside. All right, guys, that is the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to screenshot and share it to your stories and tag me. It's a free way to support the show. And I super, super appreciate it. Also, if you have any feedback, anything you loved about this episode, or maybe you're just like loving the pod and you just want to let me know, uh, you could always shoot me a DM. My DMs are always open. I make sure I get back to all of my DMs and I will see you guys on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Damn Strong Podcast. Show me some love by leaving a review and sharing a screenshot of this episode on your Instagram stories. Until next time, stay strong.